is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth Special Edition. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. Uh, We, of course, are going to be talking a lot about uh, some very critical Supreme Court rulings. Yesterday was affirmative action. Today it was uh, a ruling uh, about gay rights. It was another ruling, of course, about student debt that we were just uh, talking about. And we just heard uh, President uh, Biden doing a uh, uh, news conference about it. Uh, Let's begin with Jason Whitehead, who is a political science professor at Cal State Long Beach and studies legal and judicial politics and constitutional law. Jason, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. So let me start off with a broad question. In light of some of the rulings that we have now seen from this Supreme Court, going back to uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, then yesterday affirmative action, today student debt and uh, gay rights, what is the emerging, or maybe it's now emerged, picture of this Supreme Court? What we have to keep our eye on with the Supreme Court is what are we dealing with a conservative Supreme Court that's like a full MAGA Supreme Court, or are we dealing with a more traditional kind of conservative court? And it seems like we've got mixed messages. We've got uh, we got some decisions that seem like they're pulling back from the full implications of what some conservatives, especially aligned with the Trump wing of the party, wanted. Uh, for example, on election law. Um, some of the some members of the court, some conservative members of the court compromised with some of the liberals and kind of pulled back um, from some of the full implications of what conservatives wanted. But on affirmative action, uh, you got a full throated, you know, uh, rejection of the use of any race in higher education. So I think what you're seeing, if you're looking overall at the Supreme Court, is you're seeing uh, the conservative faction on the court, those six members, really struggling to define what their conservative agenda is going to be going forward. So you've got these traditional conservative agenda items like affirmative action and the overturning of Roe that have now been accomplished. And so what do they have their eye on next? I mean, I think you're looking at social issues, you're looking at privacy, you're looking at same-sex marriage. No indication yet that those are on the chopping block, but we're looking ahead to the future. On the uh, website designer case, uh, I want to ask about the mechanics of uh, that case. This is the ruling that uh, a uh, potential website designer uh, would not be forced to create a website for a same-sex wedding. Uh, But as as we uh, now know, that uh, never actually happened. This person was never asked to design such a website. So in many other courts, uh, that case would be dismissed because the person has not been harmed. The plaintiff has no reason to bring a case. But in this case, why does the Supreme Court do take this kind of case anyway? Yeah, there are certain exceptions. There are certain situations. Ordinarily, a court wouldn't take uh, a case that's that's not ripe. It's the doctrine of ripeness. Basically, there's got to be a live question that's harming people right now or benefiting people right now. Um, I think in this case, what you're looking at is the court's use of, it's a very strategic use of an exception to that ripeness requirement that allows for people that are in Um, real, um, when there's some real um, danger that they might be in the future where the government might, you know, find them or do something against them if they take some action in the future, they can get a declaratory judgment, basically forestalling or getting um, the government to, to, you know, preventing the government from enforcing the law against them. Yeah, you know, in the uh, court decision today, uh, they cite the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who, when asked uh, a while ago 
whether or not the president had the authority, this is to the issue of student loans, to forgive them, she responded that that was something only the U.S. Congress could do and not the president, and the court cited that in its opinion today. And that raises the question whether or not this entire thing uh, was perhaps a bit of a setup because the president should have known, since his own Speaker of the House from his own party knew, that he didn't have the authority to begin with. Yeah, I think this really comes down to, if you read the majority opinion, what it really comes down to is the word modify, right? So if you're modifying an existing congressional statute, if the president is modifying an existing congressional statute, then the president's acting well within the boundaries of executive power, because after all, executive power is about enforcing the will of Congress. It's it's enforcing the law, right? Um, on the other hand, when uh, at least the conservatives on the Supreme Court feel like the president was expanding his authority beyond modification, um, then you've got a problem. You've got a separation of powers problem. Now, to the point of whether Biden should have known, I think part of this obviously depends on who's in power in Congress, right? So if you've got when you've got a Speaker Pelosi in power in Congress, when you've got a Democratic Speaker of the House, uh, you can rely on the fact that Congress isn't going to worry too much if a member of their own party, a president of their own party, is modifying, quote unquote, modifying the law in a way that may be pretty expansive, uh, but they're OK with it ideologically. But on the other hand, now that the House has shifted to the Republicans, uh, right now you're going to have a different understanding of what it means to modify that statute. All right. Uh, thank you so much. That is uh, Jason Whitehead, political science professor at Cal State Long Beach. The court overturning President Biden's executive order, canceling up to $20,000 in student debt. But President Biden has some new plans. With us now is debt attorney Leslie Tane, who represents student loan debtors in court. Also, Taylor Fox, who's a recent Cal State Fullerton grad. She applied for Biden's student loan relief program and was approved, but now has to pay back her full loan amounts. Both of you, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me today. Uh, Leslie, let's, yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, Leslie, let's start with you. So in listening to what the president just said, uh, he's saying that he's going to go down a different road to try to accomplish the same goals. He thinks that that will be more legally sound than what the Supreme Court struck down today. But more immediately, as I understood it, um, to shield students who owe money from having their credit ratings perhaps ruined for life or or almost for life anyway. Uh, he's saying that they should start repaying their loans when they get their bills. But uh, for at least the first 12 months, if they miss a payment, the federal government is not going to turn that over to credit agencies. Is that your reading of it, too? So um, he said a lot of a lot of interesting points in terms of trying to offer um, alternative student debt plans, you know, kind of designed to ease the borrower's threat of default if they fall behind on their payments. Um, simply, you know, at this point, I think, um, you know, none of this is in place at this time. So even though this is something that was discussed today, none of it has been implemented. So student loan borrowers should be aware that just because there are new ideas and new thoughts, the reality is to push anything through in the next 60 days when payments are due is, is probably unrealistic. So, it's, um, you know, while I heard what he had to say and I read some follow-up commentary on it, um, I think at this time that it's really, really broad and how it's going to be achieved hasn't been highlighted yet. So I think there's a lot that still remains to be seen as far as how this plays out. 
All right, uh, Taylor, I imagine that you've kind of have a lot of feelings roiling in you after this decision from the court today. You applied and were approved for the student loan relief program, but now uh, it's got to feel like uh, the floor has been ripped out from underneath you. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I know, definitely. It's very frustrating. Um, I was, you know, approved for actually 20K off. um, So that would have been almost half of what I owe. Um, so definitely life changing. Um, it would have been great if it was approved because a lot of other things in my life would have been able to happen, but, um, now it's going to definitely be difficult. I already did the math. It's going to be about $500 a month in payments, which with my income is just kind of really not reasonable. So, um, not really sure yet how that's going to all work out, but, um, going to, I guess, have to roll with the punches and see what's going to happen. But it is really stressful because that's, you know, a huge sum of money, especially when you're living in Southern California. Um, Taylor, really, really tough. Let me, though, ask you the question that, as I'm sure you know, uh, critics of what the president's plan was, uh, who are now cheering uh, the Supreme Court <laughs> ruling today, they would say to you and, and students such as yourself or ex-students such as yourself that, well, you know, you took out the loan to begin with. You uh, understood what the uh, ramifications were if you didn't pay it back. So why would you expect to have loan relief? What would you say? Well, I think the bigger issue is why is education so expensive? Other countries, you know, they have college either at a very low cost or free. Um, whereas in the U.S., it's crazy expensive. Um but you I did, knew, yes, but you did, I, yes, but you did, but Taylor, with all due respect, you did take out, yeah, yeah. Your, what you're saying is true, and those are valid questions, why is education so expensive? That being mm-hmm. said, at the time you went to college, you knew what it was going to cost, you took out the loan to go, so why shouldn't mm-hmm. you be expected to pay back the money you borrowed? Um, I believe, you know, you take out the loan, that is your responsibility, you obviously sign on it, so you, you owe what you owe. Um, interest rates, they, I don't think should be as high as they are. Um, but in order to get a high paying job, I just applied to 200 jobs a couple months ago and I was looking for a job. Every single job except for two required a bachelor's degree. So it's almost a requirement nowadays to have that bachelor's degree. If you want to make a decent income to pay back those loans, um, to live, to get a home, to, to have a family, to pay for yourself to eat. So you know, I, I felt I had to take out the loans because I was not in a financial circumstance where my family could help me pay for school. I was all by myself. I had to take out loans in order to get the degree so I could get a job so I could, you know, live my life. And that was just kind of the circumstance. Right. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Taylor Fox there on the front lines of this uh, Supreme Court decision today about the student debt loan forgiveness program of President Biden, which has now been uh, shot down. President Biden making some more moves to kind of find a new path. Leslie Tain also with us represents student loan debtors in court. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. The Supreme Court today sided with a Christian graphic artist in Colorado who designs wedding websites saying that uh, she can refuse to work with same-sex couples. This comes despite a Colorado law that bans discrimination based on things like uh, sexual orientation. Michael Abukai is a professor at the University of Buffalo School of Law and is an expert on LGBTQ plus rights. Michael, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. So like most things with the Supreme Court, uh, a ruling on one thing often has, not always, but often has ramifications for other things. 
Do you see this ruling having uh, ramifications in areas other than what the ruling was directly aimed at? Well, it depends, I think, on whether you're talking about um, businesses or customers, right? So uh, uh, you might have heard, right, uh, a lot of speculation that this ruling would permit someone like Lori Smith, the web designer, to discriminate against uh, an interracial couple if if she were to disapprove of interracial marriage. And I think that that is absolutely correct. There's um, there's absolutely nothing in the court's opinion to suggest that uh, its holding would not apply equally uh, in that in that scenario. Um, the the much more open and difficult question is what kind of businesses the ruling applies to. Here we had a web designer and the Supreme Court found it pretty easy to say that her her business, the very product that she offered, was expressive and therefore a form of speech and qualified for free speech protections under the First Amendment. Um, what other businesses um, will, will qualify in the same way uh, remains to be seen. Does this open up a legal theory that, at least in some cases, where they will try to limit it, that discriminating against someone, the act of refusing service, counts as free speech? Well, again, I think, well, yes, in a nutshell, but um, so that, but I think, again, it really depends, it's going to depend on the nature of the business and the nature of the the product or good that they're that they're that they're offering right so um the question is going to be which which businesses and which commercial projects uh products excuse me uh count as expressive or expressive enough right to qualify for first amendment protection and and here the the conceivable ans- answers range from very few to very many right on on the one hand uh the court itself emphasizes that, uh, quote, there are no doubt innumerable goods and services that no one could argue implicate the First Amendment, um, i.e. that that aren't expressive. But I think, on the other hand, that it's surprisingly easy to come up with arguments about the expressive dimension of, to use the court's word, innumerable goods and services, at least when you have a plaintiff attesting to her own understanding of the nature of her business. Um, I can give you some examples. I mean, if you like, right? So there are the there are the usual ones that we hear about: the cake baker, uh, the florist. Right? Are those expressive endeavors? One can make an argument that they are. One can make an argument that they're not. But you know, but imagine, for example, that the next Lori Smith isn't uh, isn't a pious Christian, but a neo-Nazi, and she owns a sporting goods store. And she says that she runs that business because she wants to support and celebrate um, the athletic prowess of Aryans, right? And Aryans only. So, so no sporting goods for Jews or non-whites. Is that is that expressive enough for for the majority of justices on the Supreme Court? Um, I, you know, to be honest, I doubt it. But there are going to be millions, uh, millions, myriad cases uh, in the middle, right? Uh, in a, in a very gray area. And I think it's anyone's guess how those are going to go. 
Were you surprised? You know, we talked about this before, Rob and I, with uh, a previous guest on the on the show, uh, that this was a hypothetical case to begin with. Although the woman involved, uh, you know, she was claiming that this was a business she wanted to go into, and she thought that if she went into it, she would run afoul of the. Colorado state law. So she was trying to uh, preempt a legal issue uh, by, uh, you know, going to court. That said, do you buy that? And and were you surprised that the court agreed, the Supreme Court agreed to take this case to begin with? Yeah, it is an interesting, interesting aspect of the case that that, that to use wor- uh, your word, she asked for what it amounted to preemptive relief. She's never designed a wedding website uh, in her life, so far as I know. She just plans, as you say, to go into that business. Um, and that does raise some interesting questions about standing, right? But um, the Supreme Court seemed seemed um, unperturbed uh, by that, you know, by that. Uh, detail. I was going to say, uh, I mean, can't the, I mean, when it comes to the Supreme Court, I mean, let's face it, they could take anything they want or reject anything they want, right? At the end of the day. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, a doctrine like standing is, is what's called a, a prudential doctrine. So it doesn't exactly have the force of law, right? It's, it's, it's within the court's power to, to, um, uh, you know, to apply it, you know, when, when and where uh, they, they see fit. All right, uh, Michael uh, Bukai, thank you so much. A professor at the University of Buffalo School of Law. Now, this is going to probably shock some of you, but July 4th is coming up. What? Yes, I know. Isn't that amazing? Let me look at a calendar. I don't yeah. believe you. No, no. Wait, here, wait, hold on. Look. I mean, if it, Right there? Yeah, right right there. See, wow. July I had no idea 4th. time it's, moved in this direction. It, it's, it's coming up, and summer, of course is already here, and that means backyard and outdoor parties. And that includes soda, beer, fried chicken, hot dogs, lots of hamburgers, oh. lots of hamburgers. But how much of this food, especially hamburgers, should we really be eating? Ten hamburgers. Ten sounds like a good... It's a round number. Yeah, a good round number. Good yeah, number. Ten it's hamburgers, a, and then you an stop. Am- it's an American number. Absolutely. Uh, Amanda Sauceda, uh, which... I think Charles mentioned sounds like something you do put on a hamburger. Uh, is a registered dietitian in the. See how I threw you into the bus, Charles? Yes, you did. See, thank you. Thank you for that. That's called professionalism. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> Amanda Sauceda is a registered dietitian in the LA area. Who helped develop the mindful gut approach to eating. Thanks for joining us today. Hi. I, I mean, a hamburger sounds good. I almost had one for lunch this uh, oh, today. Oh, I had a, I had a hot dog for lunch today. But don't tell anybody. What is it with you people? Hot dogs. I mean, does doesn't anybody have like granola? No. No. Yeah, I can see why not. That doesn't sound American to well, me. That's more of a breakfast food. Yeah, I know you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Amanda, uh, how many hamburgers is too many hamburgers on July Fourth? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, and a good, you know, honestly, there's no hard and fast rule, but if we're looking at one day like July 4th, I would say, you know, like one to two is where you're going to be at for a hamburger. One to two? You know, I said 10. That was too much. It, just, just a tad. Just a tad bit. Kind of reminds me, have you ever had a three by three in and out? You know, that's probably where you're going to max out on, yeah, on that, hamburgers. Yeah, that is, that is pretty big. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I would say about one to two is what you're looking for. A serving size for me is considered about three ounces, which is roughly like the size of an iPhone. Right. Okay. An iPhone size hamburger. All right. What about the hot dogs and stuff? How many hot dogs? We're talking 20 now, right? <laughs> well, you, right. It's smaller. So it just automatically right. gets yeah. multiplied by two, right? And that doesn't uh, count as a sandwich. <laughs> 
hot dogs are a little bit different. Uh, so hot dogs are a little bit more of a processed meat, meaning you're going to want to limit that a lot more than you would with a burger. So with hot dogs, you know, you might, it's very easy to eat more than one. Um, but I would really try to limit that to like maybe once in a while, once in a blue moon. So July 4th, enjoy yourself, but I wouldn't, you know, shoot for more hot dogs later in that month. Well, Amanda, I, you know, I, as Rob said, you know, he had a hot dog earlier today. So I yeah. would think that maybe he should refrain from having one on July 4th. I think he's had his quota. Uh, I don't year. like the way this is going. Yeah, I think for like, <laughs> you've had enough for a year, hasn't he? <laughs> enough for a year yeah i mean uh, one year is good probably have i mean july 4th is right is a holiday it's special you also want to take into account that uh, emotional and social aspect of food but you don't want to make it a habit is but, really where it's but at. i wonder how many people you know sort of stuff themselves on july 4th and have massive coroners on july 5th <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be some interesting statistics to look at the other thing you want to keep in mind, too, whether it's a hot dog you're eating or a hamburger, is have it with a plant. Like, it doesn't just have to be just the hot dog or just the hamburger. Adding a plant is really going to kind of help round out the meal and bring in some other nutrients like fiber, vitamin C, um, prebiotics. I mean, Wait, so you mean onions. You, so you mean if, there's, if, you, if you have a hamburger and there's a, like a plant in the room, eat it? <laughs> exactly like that lettuce that i have in my pot outside you know mm. people are just going to start ripping a piece off when they come over for fourth of july rob, give, me, give me that plant rob yeah <laughs> that plant is not real so should oh. we eat that <laughs> good, you know, good clarification yeah if you have some uh fake plants like uh, like i also do um yeah don't eat that from eating yeah those. okay all right hang on let me write this down don't, don't eat, eat the fake, fake plant. plants yeah eat real ones okay if there's anything you take away from today what, what, don't what, eat the what, fake plant what should somebody do who goes to a um, July 4th kind of shindig and, um, you know, yeah. everyone's eating hot dogs and hamburgers and, and maybe an occasional plant, uh, but they don't like any of that stuff and they don't want to be a party pooper. So mm-hmm. what, what should people who are inviting people to a get together for July 4th, what should they also make available just to be accommodating? Yeah, there's so many good alternatives to hamburger. The first thing I'll think of too, especially let's say you like meat, but you want to limit the amount of red meat you're eating. Um, I don't know how you all feel about mushrooms, but mushrooms like diced mushrooms in ground beef help stretches the ground beef and you're not eating as much. So I think that's like a kind of a cool little trick I always like to talk about. But other good alternatives to that for someone that's not in like a hamburger type of mood, having a chicken burger or a salmon burger, you can also still kind of partake in that sandwich, still use the grill that you got fired up, um, or even a black bean burger for a totally plant-based option uh, can be a really nice substitute to have on hand. I just and made this, a, I just made an ugly yeah. face when you said that. With the black bean burger? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because I like, if you're going to eat meat, eat yeah. meat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. if you want the meat, then yeah. eat the meat. But that's why I like that mushroom, like minced mushroom and ground beef. Like if you like the meat, but also know you have like high cholesterol or you're trying to limit consumption. Um, yeah, you should really try it. Honestly, it's legit pretty good. I'll give it a shot. Is, is, that, some, <laughs> is, is that something, though, that, that's uniquely, do you know, American, that when people get together for outdoor grilling, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers, do other places, other countries, do you know, have other things that they eat that maybe are a bit more nutritional? You know, that's a good, yeah, a good question. I, I feel like hamburgers and hot dogs are really kind of that American way, but 
Um, I, you know, alternatives to that, that another cultures that might be um, an opportunity. The only thing I can think of is usually if we're grilling and there's mm-hmm. a hot dog or a hamburger, there's going to be like garna asada on the, on the grill as well. Right. And <laughs> less processed. So you could go that way. And there are always those plants in the room. You yeah. Can eat. Yeah. Eat the plants. Yeah, salsa but the real counts ones. as a plant. So if you're adding some salsa, that, that those are plants. <laughs> right. All right. Let me ask you this. If uh, let's say somebody's really good all year long. And they've eaten healthy and yeah. uh, basically, but what they've done is they're saving themselves, not for marriage, but for <laughs> July 4th. And uh, so uh, if they have eaten well all year long on July 4th, how many hamburgers can they eat in one sitting? Let's 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 yeah. start with 20. Tell me if uh, I should go up or down. And this applies to you, does it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't eaten healthy all year long, yeah. so I guess okay. not. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So the recommendations there would probably be like eight. You don't want to go more than like 18 ounces, like it is for the week. So you, for burger wise, if a burger is about like, you know, fourth of a burger is like four ounces. So whatever 18 divided by four is because I can't do math in my head on the spot. And that's really sad. It was like four burgers. <laughs> All right. So I would say, you know, if, you know, you don't touch a burger the whole year and, and July 4th is your go to town. Uh, four burgers, I would say. Very quickly, four Amanda. Burgers. What what about good? So we're talking about stuff to eat and, and not eat. What about drinks? Like alcoholic drinks? Well, any kind of drinks. I mean, what would be good or bad to drink during a July Fourth get together? Ooh, because it's really warming up. That's why I really like having like an ama fresca. So like watermelon, you know, just like blend watermelon with some water, add a little honey, like oh, so good. Or mm. even some mint. Um, other drinks too. I mean, obviously water, you cannot, you know, knock water. Water should definitely be somewhere. Oh, on I there. can knock water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. Water, you know, you kind of get tired of the taste of it. Yeah, which is you do. Because it has no taste. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's where adding things like mint can be really helpful. Or sometimes it'll also or do. Or beer. Or beer, you know, have a beer. Yeah, Yeah, always enjoy, like, you know, have enjoy a glass of wine or have yourself a beer. There you go. Um, if if you like juice, I don't know. I like juice, but I don't like to drink tons of juice. So I'll cut the juice with some sparkling water and just add some like cranberry juice. So I have like a little color, a little flavor, but it's not just you know pure sugar. Amanda, uh, you have made us hungry. Thank you so much. Amanda uh, Sauceda, which is uh, something you can order on your hamburger uh, at a restaurant, a <laughs> uh, registered dietitian in the L.A. area. You know, there's not a plant where I live now that yeah. is safe. Why not? Because I'm going to, she said, to eat plants. Right. So I'm Yeah, gonna, but why aren't they safe? Because I'm, I'm going to eat them. Oh, you're going to eat them. I see. I thought maybe you were saying there were toxic chemicals. No, uh, no, 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 no. She said, you know, you can eat a hamburger, but then eat a plant. So I'm going to eat well, Although, honestly, Charles, yeah. toxic chemicals uh, is not a deal breaker for me. It's not? No. Oh, you should open up a restaurant. That would be a good name for that. <laughs> That's it for KX In Depth.